0: We're opening, starting a series this week called, Did God Really Say That? Exposing the lies we live by. Uh, how many of you guys have ever given advice that you, you thought, you know, God really said, only to find out later that God actually never really said that? Anybody? I, I've done that as a pastor. I've done that multiple times uh, throughout the years. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, and I, I remember very early on. When I was a camp counselor, I think I was 15 or 16, getting my, cutting my teeth kind of in ministry, and I was spending a summer at camp, and I was with a cabin, we had some young, I was in a younger cabin, I forget, probably, a, you know, it was a junior high type age cabin, and one of the kids asked me a question around, uh, you know, what, at what age do people become accountable for what they believe? Well, that's a really, really good question. And I responded by saying, well, the Bible says that, uh, you know, when you're old enough to kind of understand the difference between, you know, right and wrong, then you become uh, accountable for what you you believe in. Uh, The Bible doesn't actually ever say that, uh, but it was a pretty good answer, I thought. Uh, The camp director was doing their walk-arounds that night, and they were listening outside of our cabin window, and the next morning, uh, at staff meeting, they said, so man, last night, you know, and they, they relayed the conversation verbatim. Last night, a, ca- a camper asked you this, and you said that. And I, we just want you to know that God actually never said that. I was like, Ugh. "Now, So that, that was the beginning of my ministry career. And since then, I've been speaking on behalf of God uh, and hoping I get it right most of the time. But we're excited about the series. And the reality is that, Whenever life starts spiraling downward and it feels like it's going out of control, maybe your relationships are, are blowing up, you got financial problems, your job isn't working out the way you want it to, uh, maybe you're, you know, you're battling depression, you're looking for some advice, and along comes a Christian with some really great advice. And they say something like, it's okay when a door closes, God always opens a, a window. It's Like, really? Does that help me at all? What if you're on the tenth floor and God opens a window? Does that really, does that really help me? Uh, and if you if you just Google annoying stuff Christians say, you'll, you'll you'll find all sorts of awesome things that we we say to people all the time that God never really said. How often do we say those things for God on His behalf? Uh, and I think there's some kind of core pieces that some we're going to look at four kind of things that often we say, that I've heard many people say, that I've even caught myself saying. But when you boil it down, God never really said that. And if you follow the trajectory far enough, uh, these subtle lies, they can actually lead uh, to places where we, we struggle in our relationship with God and with others. So in the very beginning, you'll find the creation story in Genesis uh, chapter 1. And very soon after that, uh, we have the this, this story, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, say those words with me. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? See, the tactic from the enemy, from the devil, who kind of comes in the form of a certain her- serpent in the Genesis story, was to create a doubt in Adam and Eve's mind of what God really said and versus what he didn't. So he plants the seed of doubt. Did God really say that? And that tactic has been going on for thousands and thousands of years, planting doubts in our mind of did God really say that? Did God really say that? Did God really Does God really care about your finances? Does God really care about your relationships? Does God really care how you spend your money, how you spend your time? Does God really care if you're living with your girlfriend? Does God really care if you just kind of cut a few corners here and there? Does God, did he really say that? The enemy's been planting doubts in our mind for years about what God says and what God doesn't. And so here he, here he comes into the story. Did God really say to Adam and Eve that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And you'll see that the devil brings a half truth. Because it's kind, it kind of sounds like what God said, didn't it? If you're familiar with the story, God did give a commandment. But notice the word here. Did God really say you must not eat from, what does the word say? Any of the trees in the garden. And, I, and I've done this before. Often when I ask people, you know, what's the first commandment God said? People will say, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Actually, the first commandment God said was, you may freely eat from any of the trees in the garden. That's the first thing he said. You can freely eat from any of the trees in the garden, but don't eat from this one tree. And so you see the serpent comes in, and he kind of twists the truth slightly. It's a half-truth. It sounds like something God said. And so this is how the, the enemy often works. He comes in, and he says, did God really say he plants a seed of doubt? And it's not like this, it's, it's not this crazy idea that's totally different than anything God ever said. It kind of sounds like something God would say. It actually echoes something like God said, but it wasn't exactly what God said. And so the, the woman responds, and she remembers what God says. He sa- she says, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden. We can eat from any of the trees, the woman said. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. She remembers and the serpent comes in and says, God said, sorry, the serpent says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You can eat it. You know, God, God told you if you eat it, you're going to die. And he said, you're not surely going to die. So he starts with a subtle kind of twisting of the truth. And then he comes in and minimizes the consequences of choosing to go a different way than God wanted us to go. Thousands of years later, the same thing is happening. Did God really say, I mean, a minimization of the consequences uh, that happen when we actually live our lives counter to God's design and desire and will for our lives? The first mistake actually for Eve, and, and this is going to be important coming later, but the first mistake for Eve in this story, because remember, in the beginning of the biblical story, man and God were walking and living in perfect harmony together, the, the first mistake that Eve makes was to start having a conversation as if God wasn't present. Think about that for a second. We, we, we talk and think all the time like God's not present and up until this point, God was completely present. They were in perfect unity with God, perfect unity with each other, walking in harmony. And all of a sudden, not only did Satan come and tempt them to doubt what God had said, not only did he minimize the consequences of living a life counter to what God uh, wanted, the way that God wanted them to live, uh, but he also starts them thinking about God as if he wasn't there. God becomes a subject. And often when we start talking about God as a subject, that God is an idea, without actually recognizing that God is a relational being that is among us, is the beginning of actually turning away from God. So did God really say that the one we're going to look at this morning is, God won't give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever heard this one before? God won't give you more than you can handle. I think I've said things like this before. Don't worry, God's not going to give you more than he can handle. And I think we need to come to realization this morning that God never said that. He never said that. In fact, I think that this, this idea that we, we talk about, that we this advice that we give actually comes from a misunderstanding or misquote of a scripture that uh, the Apostle Paul gives. This is what Paul says: He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. It never says he won't give you more than you can handle. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. What Paul is saying here is that when t- temptation comes your way, there won't be a temptation that comes your way that God will not give you a way out from. See a subtle difference, but a significant difference. Just enough that the enemy comes and kind of twists the idea God won't give you more than you can handle. Don't worry. But it sets us up for disappointment, for frustration. It sets us up to be bitter towards God. This whole idea that God won't give you more than you can handle. If you go through scripture, you'll realize very quickly that this is not true. If you remember the story of Gideon, Gideon had, you know, God was going to tell, told Gideon to go and take over the, uh, fight the Midianites. I think I remember that right. And he had 30,000 people in his army. God says, you got too many. And through, uh, long story short, God dwindles his army down to 300 people. Doesn't even give them weapons. And the whole idea behind that was God didn't want Gideon to have enough for him to do it on his own. You think of Moses. Moses complains. "You got who am I to deliver the people out of Egypt? I, you know, I'm slow of speech. I can't, I'm not a leader. I can't speak. I can't, you know, give me a helper. And, and God just kind of acquiesces and does give him a helper. He gives him Aaron, but uh, Moses didn't feel like he could handle the call that God had on his life. If we look at David, David in Psalm 38, verse 48 says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans from an anguished heart. David hit a point in his life where there was more going on than he could handle. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see, how often and how many different situations he comes and he hits rock bottom. Jesus in Mark chapter 14, Jesus himself began to be deeply distressed and troubled. It says, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And if you're familiar with that story, before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, my, you know, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Take, I can't handle this. If there's any other way, if there's any other way, give me another way. So, this whole idea that God won't give you more than you can handle does not actually have biblical uh, support. So, this morning we're going to look at two reasons. Everybody say two reasons. Two reasons God will give you more than you can handle. First, He wants us to depend on His presence. When things are going really, really well, it's easy to forget about God. When life's going the way you want it to, It's like, yeah, God, we know you're there, but we're not actually living with that type of dependence. And often when something hits the fan in our lives, when things start going down, God, I need you. I need you. God, where are you? It brings this this desperation, this dependency. You know, every time I, you know, as a pastor, you know, when you're first meeting somebody, you know, what are, what's the first question you usually talk to about with somebody? what do you do for a living? Right? Is that, is that one of your go-to, go-to questions? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. <laughs> I'm not on my own here. Often I lead with that question, what do you do for a living? But then I immediately regret it because I know the question is coming right back at me. And my answer, I'm a pastor, is like a conversation stopper. You know, I feel, I feel like this guy, Sometimes I just want to kind of slightly twist the truth and be like, you know, I work with people for a living. You know, something like that. But, you know, when people ask me what I do for a living, and I say I'm a pastor, often the conversation just like stops. You know, I'm, I'm on an airplane. Someone says, what do you do for a living? And I'm a pastor. It's like, okay, head, head buds go, the earbuds go in. You know, I'm trying to meet my neighbor. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor. All right. Uh, talk to you next year, you know, it's, uh, or, you know, sometimes I get these religious fanatics that just want to tell me, they, they, they tell me all their thoughts on God and religion, and, um, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, you know, all, leads, all roads lead to God, doesn't matter what you believe, and, you know, they start going on like this, and, you know, first conversation, and you're go- already going there, and I, I'm like, I don't know how to even respond to this. It's a conversation killer, it's hard, but through the years, I've recognized something, I've recognized that often when people find out I'm a pastor, they kind of avoid the topic of God. They avoid the topic of religion. They don't want to talk about Jesus with me. And then something goes sideways in their life. A friend dies. A parent dies. you know, Somebody in their family has a disease that is, uh, that is critical, that is inoperable. Somebody in their family is struggling with uh, significant depression and they don't know what to do. That's often when I get a text message. Hey, you got time for a coffee? Hey, I got a question. I'd like to chat with you sometime. And isn't it funny that we we can kind of go through life and pretend like you know, God is out there, He's not close, and so we don't want to think about it or talk about it, then something goes sideways in our life, and all of a sudden, we start asking faith questions. We start becoming a little bit more dependent on God. And as a pastor, I'd love just to, like, work with people and walk with people and help them explore life when stuff isn't going sideways. That would be awesome, but often it's, uh, it's the mess that brings them to me or brings them into conversation with me. You know, Jonah was a guy in Scripture, if you know the story of Jonah, he's trying to run away from God. He's trying to avoid God. God tells him to go to Nineveh because God's trying to warn Nineveh. And he gets in a boat to go the other way that God's calling him to go. I'm going to go the other way, God. I don't want to, you know, so what does God do? God sends a storm. And here in the storm, Jonah's in this boat. Everybody's praying to their God in the boat. And nothing's happening. None of the gods that are being prayed to are helping And then everybody else on the boat remembers there's this guy named Jonah, this Hebrew. You know, where is he? And they find him. He's in the the bottom of the boat. He's below the deck, and he's laying down for a sleep. And so the scripture says the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice for us so that we will not perish. They're in this dire situation in the middle of the waters, and all of a sudden they decide they... This is a time to be dependent on our gods. You know, Jonah, pray on your God. We're going to pray, pray to our God. Jonah, pray to your God. And they realize that in order, you know, as, after Jonah explains who he is, and, you know, he was supposed to go to Nineveh, and, God, and he disobeyed God, and they said, we got to throw you overboard. And so they throw Jonah overboard. And a whale comes and swallows Jonah. Stuff's going a little sideways for him. And this is what Jonah says. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Isn't this so true for us? That we need God in our distress, but we often overlook him in our success. We need him in our distress and we overlook him in our success. And I bet you this is true for your story as well. And this is actually the, the biblical account. You see this over and over again. When things were going well for God's people, they ignored him. When, they, when things started to go to sideways and they started experiencing, you know, hardship, they looked to him. When life is going well, when, things, when we're in control, when our loved ones are healthy, when work is happening, when the bills are getting paid, when our five-year plan works out, when our 10-year plan works out, we, we develop this false sense of control and power, and we can forget God and our success, but then distress comes, and we call out to God. And this is what happens, and, and Jonah calls out to God, and Jonah, and Jonah says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. You know, maybe this morning, this is a remembering moment for you. I don't know your story. Maybe you feel like life is slipping away. All of us are either coming out of a storm, are in the middle of a storm, or we're about to go into a storm. Sorry, right, you thought I was supposed to bring good news this morning. Let me, just bring the, let me just call it like it is right now, in the human experience. Everybody in this room is either coming out of a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're going to go into the storm and you don't know what's coming at. I'm pretty confident of that. Would you guys agree with that? And so, we actually have a story in the book of Mark where the disciples are caught in a storm as well. And here's what it says. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Followed. But soon a what? A fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Stressful situation. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Does this sound familiar? If you didn't get, it's, it's like it's like Jonah. You know the story story Jonah. I, so I didn't feel like people were making the connection. Let me know. Jesus is sleeping like Jonah was in the boat. Jesus is also sleeping in the boat in the middle of a storm. And so the disciples woke him up, shouting, "Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown?" So when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the wave, "Silence. Be still." Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a what? Great calm. Then he asked them. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So let me just recap this for a second. There's a fierce storm. You know, this would be how we would, if we were to, maybe tell the story like we expected it to go, it would go like this. You know, there's a, there's a fierce storm. Because there was a storm, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Jesus came and he spoke calm over the waters and then everything was calm. Would you agree? That, 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 that is the rational way that we would expect this story to go. Fierce storm, the storm's in my life, I'm absolutely terrified, but Jesus comes and he speaks calm And there's a great calm. This is not how the story goes. There's a fierce storm. They wake Jesus up. Jesus speaks calm. And when Jesus speaks calm into the waters and the storm calms, then they were absolutely terrified. You, you, you need to pay attention to what's happening in the story here because uh, it gets lost. In, in our translations, it gets lost. And, and what happens, let me just talk about the Greek language here that's happening a little bit. You'll see the same word throw up, show up three times. Lila Megale. Megale, sorry. And you'll see that the root word of that second word there is mega. You guys know what mega means? Big. Great. You guys you guys know Greek really, really well. Good job. And so here's here's what it actually says in the in the Greek language when when the Bible was written. It says there's a great storm. And there was a great calm. And then there was great fear. That's odd. You know, in the English language, we, we kind of use different words. We use fierce, great, absolutely terrified because, you know, as you learn to write English, you know that when you use the same word over and over and over again, that's bad writing, right? Okay, that, that's actually not the way it worked for the biblical writers. When they wanted to make a point, when you, like, write in capitalized letters and you write exclamation marks, uh, you know, they didn't do that, but what they did is they took a word and they repeated it over and over again so you would pay attention and say, there's something else going on here. There's a fierce storm. And remember, Jonah gets woken up. So the disciples, good Jewish boys, remember the story of Jonah very, very well. They're in the storm. They're like Jonah. Jonah gets woken up. And Jonah gets asked to pray pray to his God. So this is likely what's echoing in the disciples' head. They're in the storm. Jesus is sleeping. This is just like the Jonah situation. Let's wake up Jesus and see if he will pray to God. So they wake up Jesus, but what Jesus doesn't do is pray to God. Because Jesus is basically saying, you just did when you woke me up. Jesus doesn't pray. He just speaks. See, the disciples were terrified of the storm, but they didn't realize that God himself in flesh was actually in the boat with them. And so, when there was calm and Jesus didn't pray to God, and when he just spoke, it was even more terrifying than the storm. You see that? But Mark, the writer of this gospel, what he wants us to know is that when you're in a storm, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Mark is telling us in this moment that just like the disciples, we go through life, we experience storms in our life, and we say, God, where are you? God, where are you? And the good news, the gospel is that Jesus actually came to earth in the flesh. And we talk about this at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. And then Jesus died and was resurrected, and he says, It's okay because I'm going to send you a helper, my spirit, so I will be present with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark wants us to know that no matter what storm you're in, that God is actually in it with you. Don't waste a storm. Don't waste a chance to become even more dependent on God than you already are. And often, when the storm comes, we do what they did to Jonah. We throw Jesus overboard. Oh, it's God's fault. It's Jesus' fault. God is inviting us to recognize his presence. And in fact, for those of us who are willing to look to him, we will find that God does give us more than we can handle because those are the moments that he wants us to be dependent on his presence. Those are the moments we often go to Jesus and say, Jesus, wake up. Do you recognize the storm that I'm going into my life right now? Do you recognize everything that's going sideways? Do you recognize that there's something that I can't control? There's, we didn't expect that Phone call from the doctor that said that my wife has cancer. My kid's getting bullied in school and I don't know how to handle it. I've been wondering why I just can't be happy and I find out that I have depression. I don't know what to do with it. And we say, God, where are you? And we often have a choice there to throw Jesus overboard or to actually go to Jesus and depend on Jesus' presence. You'll see the second reason there up on the screen. The second reason God will give you more than you can handle is to help you experience His power. Some of you have been going for a long time on your own power. You know, I'm a, I'm an avid mountain biker. Uh, you know, I'm not like a, not like a pro mountain biker. I just really enjoy it, uh, and I dabble in some racing sometimes, and, and a couple of years ago, uh, me and some other Sunwesters, we were doing the, the uh, 24 hours of adrenaline, and so you race for tw- a 24-hour period of time, and it's exhausting. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was in the, you know, f- the first one out, and I was racing, and my chain, my chain broke um, just about two-thirds away around through the first lap. And I had to decide, because if you don't finish the lap, then your whole team is a lap behind. So try and fix the chain or run back. And, and so I, I sprinted through the, uh, the mountain bike course with my mountain bike, carrying my mountain bike, in my biking shoes. Just so you know, those aren't like running shoes. They're very like hard. They don't have any bend in them. They're not meant to bend. Uh, so they're not running shoes. And it was exhausting. Uh, and then we did another lap. And, you know, so you end up doing multiple laps kind of through the 24-hour period with your with your team, and then my body just started shutting down. And so here, here I have a clip of what my calf muscle started doing about halfway through this race. That's, my, that's after it settled down, actually, a little bit. You, you, would, you would not believe. Uh, this is when I calmed down enough to actually take the video. It, it looked like I had, like, like, aliens, like, in my leg that were, like, going all over the place. And then they, they put my leg in, like, one of those, because I went to the, the on-site... Uh, you know, physiotherapist there, and they put my leg in one of those big uh, f- freezing packs. I don't know if you guys know, you know, and then they, they compressed the leg muscles, and then my leg started going crazy inside that thing, and, I, and it was stuck in there, and then they had to, like, come and undo it and take it out, and the guy was, he, he just worked on me for, like, a couple of hours, and my leg would not stop doing that. And it's exhausting. And you go and go on your own strength. Uh, but all of us have a limit. And some of you are pretty bullheaded, and you, and you can go for a long time on your own strength and your own power. But I know that there's a time for all of us when we just can't go anymore. When you burn out, when you become exhausted. And often it comes when the storm comes, and you realize that you have nothing left. You've been going and going and going, and you can't handle the storm anymore. And so you have no power left, no strength left. See, the Apostle Paul knew this. He experienced this, and um, here's a passage of Scripture that has brought so many question marks over the years. And and this is what what Paul says. He, He says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And scholars for years have wondered what this thorn in the flesh is. And let me just save you a whole lot of time, and I'll give you the answer right now. All, you know, Out of all the research all the scholars I've written, here's the answer. Nobody knows. So save yourself a lot of time. You don't, you're not going to find out. But, uh, but there is some kind of thorn in Paul's flesh. It's a metaphor for something. Metaphor for some kind of storm. Metaphor for something in his life that he couldn't control. Metaphor for something that had completely exhausted him. A thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Everybody say three different times. So this isn't like how many of us pray. And sometimes, you know, something comes up in my life and, you know, know, I prayed about it three times. There's three different prayer times I had, and I prayed about it, and nothing happened. No, the, when Paul talks about three different times, he's talking about like three significant seasons where he prayed about this, where he was praying, he was fasting, he was probably like talking to the churches that he had planted and say, would you pray for me? Three seasons, he kind of went at this thing and, and prayed for God to take it away. I begged the Lord to take it away. I begged him. Some of you here know exactly what? He's talking about, you've begged God to take something away. You have begged him to change your situation. You have begged him to bring healing. You have begged him to restore this relationship. And I'm not here to give you an answer. I don't have an answer for why that hasn't happened. But this was Paul's response. He says, each time he said, so this is Paul listening to God's spirit speaking to him. And he begged God three times. And each time God said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Can we say that together? My power works best in weakness. So now, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. You know, if God is going to heal somebody, if God's going to take something away, I, you know, I think Paul's a pretty good candidate. You know, as far as, You know, if there was a, you know, on the human side, if there was a scale, if there was, you know, merit, you know, Paul, you know, he was a, you know, he was kind of the greatest missionary of all time. All the churches he planted, he was a major part of starting this Christian revolution. You know, Paul even had a handkerchief that people were being healed by when they touched it. You know, Paul's mucus was healing people. Just, just let me touch Paul's mucus. If I could just touch his, you know, the snot coming out of his nose, then I know I'd be healed. And, and, and it would happen. People would touch his handkerchief. And they'd be healed. So Paul doesn't have a faith issue. Paul doesn't have a confidence in God issue. Paul's seen miraculous things happen. But yet for Paul, there was this situation, this thorn in his flesh, that for some reason God wasn't taking away. If you walk in faith long enough, you'll experience this. I don't know what your thorn will be. Maybe there's a miracle you're looking for that's not happening. You know, Maybe you've been begging God to have kids and you, you're not able to. Maybe there's, you know, I've mentioned depression a couple of times. You know, I felt even as I was preparing this week that, that that word was really highlighted for me, depression. So maybe there's somebody this morning that needs uh, that encouragement that you've begged God to take this away. You're in this darkness of the storm. And you know he can, and that's what's frustrating. Just like Paul knew it. But he doesn't. You know, this is exactly where Paul was. And if you're in that place this morning, like I said, I don't have answers to the why, but I know that part of the reason that God gives us things that we can't handle is so that we'll depend on him and that we'll experience his power. And his power is often most felt, most experienced, most experienced, and our greatest points of weakness. You know, I don't always feel like speaking on a Sunday morning. You know, this might be a shocker to you. I don't wake up every Sunday morning and be like, "Ah, I can't wait to preach this morning. You know, I have an argument with my wife before church, and I can't wait to talk about marriage this morning. It's, you know, that's hypothetical. Uh, You know, I can't wait... I can't wait to talk about this thing because I know it's going to push people's buttons and, you know, I, I can't wait to get critiqued. You know, I, I love showing up in the church in the, in the morning when the, when the roof is leaking and the photocopier isn't working and we're trying to print out groups catalogs and the guy who would be worrying about it was supposed to be playing electric guitar and I said, you know, you worry about the roof and I'll play electric guitar and it uh, throws my whole morning off. Just hypothetically, I don't love it. I don't love it. But, but this is what I've recognized that in the points where I feel like I have nothing left where things go sideways in a ministry context is often surprisingly when God seems to be most at work because I think when storm hits my life when I'm not in control when I have nothing left to give it's the, it's the one point where Matt gets most out of the way and maybe you're in your own way maybe you need to get out of the way Maybe you need to give up and throw the white flag up. Because I believe no matter what the storm is that you're going through that God wants you to depend on him more fully and that God wants you to experience his power. And as long as you're still trying to be strong, still trying to do it on your own strength, you're actually limiting God's power to be at work in your life. So why would God give you more than you can handle because you were never ever created to live life without Him. That's why. You weren't created to live life without Him. You weren't created to live life on your own power. You weren't created to be able to handle life on your own. You were created to live in dependency and intimacy with the living God. And if you're experiencing a storm in your life and you're trying to run away, I would encourage you, don't throw Jesus overboard uh, because He is the one... He is God Himself. He is the one that you need. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to invite you to actually close close your eyes as you stand. With your eyes closed, I just, I want to invite you, you know, if you're in a storm in your life, and maybe you've actually never depended on God before. You've never given control of your life over to God. You've never actually decided that you were going to live for Him instead of trying to do life on your own strength. And this morning is one of those moments. It is that moment that God is saying, just give up. I've actually let you experience more than you can handle in your life for this very moment, for this very purpose, so that you would raise up your hand and say, you know, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need you. And this is the beginning of walking with Jesus. Is this this point of surrender that we say, "I am not God." Jesus, you are. Would you be Lord of my life? If you are in a place that you want to do that this morning, with our eyes closed, I just want to invite you to raise a hand because I want to. I just want to pray for you as we close. Awesome. That's a couple of those hands. Thank you. At any point in your journey in your life Jesus wants you to know that he's in the boat with you. And you can call out to him at any point and say I can't handle this on my own. And God will say exactly That's why I sent Jesus. Because you couldn't do it on your own. Because you needed someone to rescue you, because you needed a savior, because you you needed God to be with you to empower you. So let me pray. Father, thank you for those in this room right now that have experienced a storm, that are in the middle of a storm. And Lord, you know those who are about to walk into a storm. And Lord, we have all sorts of questions of why this happens. And, and I pray that you would save us from the temptation to talk about it, to, you know, to theologize about it as if you aren't in it with us. Lord, we don't want to make the mistake that Adam and Eve made. So we, we just declare that you're with us that you are in the space with us this morning. And that, you, Lord, you don't stay in this space when we walk out of this building this morning. You actually are with us the whole time. You're going with us into our schools. You're going with us into our workplaces. You're going with us into our family situations. You're going with us to the hospital. You're going with us when we go visit that friend. You are a God that is with us. And, Lord, for those who have never made that decision to actually give you control of their lives... I invite you to pray in your heart with me. Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to do life on my own. I need you. I'm dependent on you. I'm choosing today to make you Lord of my life choosing today to accept your forgiveness that you freely offer. Thank you for rescuing me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're someone that wants to, has taken that step for the first time, I encourage you to come and chat with me. Pick up a next steps pack. We'd love to walk this faith journey with you. Let's sing together the song that Dalen and the band will lead us in. The ways that we often experience Christ's presence is through other followers of Jesus. Uh, and I'm going to invite our prayer teams forward. If you if you find yourself in a storm, coming out of a storm, think you might be going into a storm. Uh, you know, part of the reason we offer prayer at the end of every single service is because of that human reality that uh, this is the ebb and flow of life. And God has not created you to do life alone. And so would you allow someone to pray with you, to, uh, to partner with Jesus and speaking truth and encouragement into your life? You know, I talked about the thorn in the flesh and the reason God gives us things that we can handle, but that is not an excuse not to uh, contend for God to change situations. And part of the other reason why our prayer folks are forward is maybe there's something in your life that you do want people to contend with for you in prayer. Situation situation your family a healing or something like that we want to commit to praying to god uh, for those things and he invites us to pray for those things he invites us to keep knocking on that door and and asking that god would do that and so we, we leave the results up to him but our response is always dependency on god always looking to him and so we invite you to come forward for prayer also another way we don't do life alone chris mentioned this was groups and uh, outside of our youth uh, small groups, we actually have 22 adult groups for you to choose from. And if, uh, if you're looking to get connected to do life with other people, there's tons of variety of different days, different types of things. Uh, please pick up a catalog. I hope our printer was working enough to get enough printed. Um, uh, but if not, we will be posting them online as well so you can if you don't get one this morning, feel free to look online as well. Uh, but those groups are going to be starting next week. And please uh, grab that catalog and think about where God might be inviting you to plug in. Let me, uh, let me pray again for you, and then uh, we'll release you. Father, we just thank you again that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. But I pray that those who need to know that truth would sense your presence your joy beyond circumstance they would know that you are with them to the very end of this age and so we just uh we just recognize lord that when you when your presence comes when your kingdom comes uh lord that things change hearts change that perspectives change, that storms change, that that you have the power to speak calm into a storm. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak that calm right now in Jesus' name uh, to to those who are experiencing waves, storms in their life, that you would bring peace. Uh, We thank you that you are our peace, that you are the Prince of Peace. And so we just speak your peace now in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for coming. Uh, Next week we'll look at another lie that we live by and uh, we look forward to seeing you then.